0: Hola mi gente, welcome back to another episode of Creepy Chisme. Sorry for the raspy voice, but I am getting over a cold, yes, yes, if you are remembering correctly, I just had a really bad sinus infection and this week I get a nasty cold. But I'm not going to complain because it could be worse, right? So just bear with me. I'm sorry <laughs> that you have to hear me like this, but I don't want to miss. I already am a day late, so sorry guys, but I don't want to miss one week out of the spooky month. I want to, I I mean, I was, I'm excited for this story. It's interesting and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Thinking back to my childhood, trick-or-treating, you know, (laughs) I mean, me and my cousins, I remember we would like plan in advance, like we were gonna, we would always go to the same town, shout out to Hegwish, hello Hegwish, (laughs) that's a suburb right near Chicago, has a Chicago zip code, so you could pretty much say it's Chicago, but um yeah, a uh, great place to trick or treat. I don't know about now, but it was when I was a kid. The houses were amazing. They would each do like something creepy. I just remember always being scared. <laughs> but I also was a big chicken, so you know. But yeah, we would have our plan. We would be like, we're gonna hit up this house. And we knew, we knew the houses. Like there was a house that gave out glow sticks. Somebody worked at Jay's Potato Chips, so they would give out bags of chips. There was a house that made like, little homemade treats like we knew where to go so we had a plan and of course as kids say they were like I'm sugar treating all night till my feet hurt <laughs> yeah we'd do like 3 blocks and we were done not to mention halloween in the midwest you never know what kind of weather you're going to get i remember one year we had a full on snowstorm yeah in october <laughs> that was actually like 4 years ago i think Oh yeah, it was bad. I remember driving and I'm like, why is it snowing? It's Halloween. I think I took my niece out for like a little bit. Oh my God, I think this is gonna be the first year that I don't take my niece trick-or-treating. At least that I know of yet. You know, she's 13. She just turned 13. Happy birthday, V. Everybody say happy birthday to her. (laughs) She's a teenager. And I don't even know if she's gonna go trick-or-treating this year. I hope so. I really do. I hope so. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) So like I said in my last episode, I want to give you guys a little Halloween fact. Now, this one is not spooky or scary, but it ties in to the story I'm going to tell you today. Let's talk candy, y'all. We're talking trick-or-treat candy. Mm. Now, you know if your house is giving out full-size candy bars... You better have enough candy bars for the whole town because everyone's coming to your house, okay? You know, if you're giving out the good candy, you're going to get trick or treaters. You're going to get trick-or-treaters. Sorry, guys, I can't talk. (laughs) You're not going to believe this. So I was like, hmm. You know, last year because of the pandemic, I don't even think we had trick-or-treating. I don't remember. Someone refreshed my memory. Indiana probably did trick-or-treating because they're crazy. They do everything. But I don't remember uh, what I did last Halloween. I, 2020 is just a blur. Like I, sometimes I feel like I'm in 2020 because I erased it from my memory, and it's like I'm missing a year of my life, you know. So, but I don't remember what we did last Halloween. What did we do? Oh, I did go trick or treating in Indiana. <laughs> Told you, Indiana, they do whatever they want. We did take the kids trick or treating just for a little bit. Yes, because I remember like everyone had to get unique with their giving out candy, and it was pretty cool seeing that. But I started thinking, like, um, I wonder how much candy is sold around this time of year. So you're not going to believe this, but Americans purchase almost 600 million pounds of candy per year around Halloween. Now during the week of Halloween, over 90 million pounds of that is just chocolate 90 million pounds of chocolate <laughs> lord have mercy <laughs> and around this time of course is the most candy sold even more than valentine's day i think valentine's day is the second most sold candy at least for chocolate but yeah more than any other holiday that's crazy. 600 million pounds of candy. What the hell, y'all? <laughs> oh, man, Americans, y'all love your candy. So that Halloween fact for y'all brings me to the case that I found that I want to tell you about. Now, it is it is creepy, okay? The fact that someone can do this, I'm not going to give it away yet. So the case I have for you today is called the Halloween Candy Murder. I'm going to introduce you to the real Candyman. And no, I'm not talking about Candyman from the movie. I'm talking about the real Candyman. Now, we've all heard before that any candy that looks tampered with or opened should not be eaten, right? Why? Sorry for the noises in the back. I have no idea, like. Like, seven semi-trucks have passed since I started, and I'm only on seven minutes here. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Bear with me, y'all. So, yes, why? Why should we check our candy, right? Um, it might be poisoned, right? Where did that come from? Where did that urban legend come from? It might be poisoned. It might have a needle in it. Or worse, a fool-on razor blade in your chocolate bar, you know? We've all heard those stories. Don't deny it, y'all. Now, despite this being a rarity, police departments release annual PSAs on proper candy inspections, you know? I remember as a kid being told at school, I think even one time the police department sent us flyers, on like how to properly check your candy or have your parent check your candy and like what to look for and I remember that and they still do it today but why why like what sparked people to start saying check your candy it might be poisoned now a professor of sociology his name is Joel Best from the University of Delaware, actually studied candy tampering and found very little to no evidence in his research. Now, his research goes way back to 1958, and he even wrote a research paper titled The Razor in the Apple, the Social Construction of Urban Legends. I don't know why I said urban legends. Anyway, where he pretty much explains that it's all hype. It's all hype, and he only found one scenario that was a confirmed death from poisoned Halloween candy. However, that Halloween candy wasn't given by a stranger who wanted to harm the innocent trick-or-treater. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you the story of Timothy O'Brien. In 1974, a Texas man named Ronald Clark O'Brien which you'll hear me refer to as Ronald or O'Brien, was dealing with some pretty big financial issues. He was working as an optician at a company that made eyeglasses. Now, the family consisted of Ronald, his wife, who I never found her name. I think it was Helen, but I could just be making that up. So I'm just going to say wife. And then there are two kids, Timothy, who was eight, and Elizabeth, who was five. No, it was Halloween night, and the family had gone to visit some friends in the neighboring town, and they took the kids trick-or-treating. Now, they had fun, and then they made their way back home, hung out with friends for a little bit, and then headed back to their family home. Now, when they got home, of course, the kids are like, come on, let us have a piece of candy. You know, I, <laughs> you know how that is. So they're like just one just one and so you know it's pretty late but ronald he he let them have one piece each before bed now timothy the eight-year-old he had a pixie stick if you don't know what a pixie stick is it's this powdery sugary stuff that comes in like a paper straw and you pretty much, like, you have to eat it a certain way. Now, let me tell you because I'm an expert, okay? I used, to, I used to buy the bags of these Pixie Sticks. And if you know what I'm talking, I have glitter all over my hands, and I don't know why. <laughs> sorry, guys, my ADD kicked in. I have glitter all over my hands. I don't know how that happened. Anyway, sorry. Um, it, yeah, they sell, like, a whole pack of these Pixie Sticks. I remember I would buy it, and then I would eat all of them like in one day all of them and it was a lot of freaking sticks and it's all sugar it's just all sugar so yeah that's what it is and there's like a very specific way you have to rip the top off (laughs) little ASMR you have to rip the top off and then you have to pour it all into your mouth but you can't let the straw hit the tip of your mouth because if it gets wet The powder is done. It's not coming out. You gotta cut again the tip till it's dry. So the best way to do it, like I said, just rip the top off, pour it into your mouth. You eat a stick in like, what, two seconds? See why I ate the whole bag in one day? (laughs) So that's what he chose to eat. So he eats it, as one should, by pouring the entire straw into his mouth. And almost immediately timothy gets sick so he tells his dad like oh this tastes nasty like it was very bitter it wasn't sweet because believe me pixie sticks are very sweet and he just was like ah that did not taste good now i'm pretty sure this wasn't his first pixie uh this wasn't his first pixie stick pretty sure the boy knows his candy just like most kids know their candy So Ronald gives him a drink. I think he gave him some Kool-Aid and he's like, here, wash it down. You'll be fine. Right after that, Timothy feels very sick. So sick that he actually runs to the bathroom and throws up. But then he keeps throwing up. And then he starts convulsing. Now his dad goes to hold him and right in his arms, eight-year-old Timothy goes limp. So what the H-E double hockey stick happened, right? Well, when someone dies suddenly, especially someone so young, they usually recommend they do an autopsy to find the cause of death. Now, Ronald and his wife both agreed, so an autopsy was performed on the eight-year-old boy. What they find is that the young boy was poisoned with potassium cyanide. Now, he had so much in his system that it could have killed two full adults. Now, when this story broke, it sparked the controversy and what some would say the tainted candy urban legend, like I mentioned in the beginning. People went crazy. They were like, oh, throw your candy out, kid. We're not eating any of it. Now, police in the town of Houston, Texas, where the O'Briens lived, and in the neighboring county where the family had gone trick-or-treating, had tons of residents living in them coming in wanting the police to test their candy for cyanide. Now surprisingly, four other tainted Pixie Sticks were found. You ready for this? One was in the bag of Elizabeth, Timothy's sister. Now the sister and two of the family friend's kids had the Pixie Sticks. Oh yeah. Now, remember, those were the kids that were trick-or-treating with the O'Brien children. There was also another family friend was with them the night of Halloween who also had a pixie stick. Now, what they found was that someone cut the sticks open, dumped out about two and a half inches of candy, and then replaced it with potassium cyanide. So that was a lot of poison. Then they stapled the stick shut. Now, thankfully, Elizabeth and the other children didn't eat their candy. Now, police were shocked. Who the hell would do this and why? So begins their investigation. Now, Ronald O'Brien says that he remembers the candy coming from one of the homes that they stopped at. Now, his story is pretty wild. And in my opinion, he should have just... He should have just shut his mouth... (laughs) because it would have been a better story than what he told. But instead, he goes on to say that he remembers that at one particular home, the kids rang the doorbell, but nobody answered. So the kids took off to the next house, and as Ronald was leaving, he claims the owner of the home came out and handed him the pixie sticks. Really, Ronald? So he then gave each of the children that were with them one pixie stick. So, of course, police ask him which house was it, and Ronald can't remember. So police start interviewing every resident that lived on the two blocks that the O'Briens and friends trick-or-treated on. None of these residents claimed to have handed out pixie sticks But, I mean, would they have actually said, oh, yeah, I did give out pixie sticks? Like, imagine if you are not guilty and you really did hand out pixie sticks. (laughs) Like, would you say, like, oh, yeah, I did? No. You'd be like, no, I I didn't give out pixie sticks. So, mm, anyway. So, police interviewed the same residents multiple times. I think they went three times to each house just to... See if maybe they'll slip up or, you know, say something different. Now, finally, after the third attempt, Ronald says he remembers the house. So he takes them and he's like, there it is. That's the house. And he points out a home belonging to a man named Courtney Melvin. So they go talk to Courtney Melvin. And Melvin is like, I wasn't even home. I was at work until 11 p.m. And trigger treating was way over by 11 p.m. Now Melvin, he worked at the airport, the Houston airport, as a traffic controller. So he had a pretty good alibi. I mean, hundreds of people see you in one shift, especially at such a big airport, that he had tons of alibis. Or he had tons of people that could prove his alibi, is what I meant. Right off the bat, police, they just, they're not feeling it. They're just like, no, there's no way. Like, this doesn't make any sense. If he was at work, in one of the nicest, he lives in one of the nicest neighborhoods. He's a nice guy. Why is he trying to poison children while he's at work? Mmm, I don't know. So, (laughs) they now start thinking... Why would Ronald O'Brien mention Courtney Melvin as a suspect? So now their focus turns to Ronald O'Brien. I mean, this is an investigation of a murder. This is really serious. So the red flags are flying and they start looking closely at Mr. O'Brien here. Now, he was never really in trouble with the law before, he had a clean record. And he was a man of the Lord. He was a man of God. He was actually a deacon at his church and even sang in the church choir. So that checks out, right? Man of God, what harm can he do? But the more police look into Ronald's life, they notice that this man of God can't hold a job. Hmm. So they find out that he's pretty hes pretty bad at keeping a job. So, when they speak to former employees, they notice that Ronald's got a bit of a temper. A short fuse, to be exact. Over the past 10 years, he's had over 20 jobs. And recently, he had been fired from one job for stealing money. But that's not all they found out. Police also discover that Ronald likes to shop until he drops. Oh, yes. He had some major debt issues. Now, this is 1974. Let me calculate how much this is. Hold on. Okay, so I just calculated. So Ronald in 1974 had a debt of a hundred thousand dollars. In today's money, that would be five hundred. Oh god, this is so specific. <laughs> 556409 and 74 That's a lot of damn money, okay? <laughs> but he had a debt of that much money, so he's in a bit of trouble here. Now, it was really bad that he was almost going to lose the family home to debt collectors, so they were coming for him. Now, back in the day, and shit, even today... It's rare that people take out life insurance policies for their kids. Now, I guess people assume they're young, they don't need it. I think my parents took out insurance policies on us when we were, like, young adults, like 10, 11, 12. And I didn't get my own insurance policy till I was, like, in my early 20s. So, it's not something a lot of people do, especially in the 70s. And more than anything, especially when you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt, you don't go and take out a policy on your kids. But Ronald did just that that year, nineteen seventy four in January. He took out a ten thousand dollar policy for each of his kids, so Timothy and Elizabeth. y'all connecting the dots yet. <laughs> Because you should be, it gets better though, so listen. <laughs> now a month before Halloween, Ronald calls the insurance agency and he's like, "You know what? I love my kids. He didn't say that. I'm just <laughs> I'm just spreading the cheese make y'all, okay. <laughs> but it probably went something like that. like, oh, I love my kids. I want to up their policies. So he ups it to 30,000 apiece, okay? Then just a few days before Halloween, he calls them again. And he's like, I really love my kids. I want them to be set if anything were to happen to them. Again, just making that up. I don't know what he really said. <laughs> but he raises it to 50000 each. Hmm... I'm only a first grade teacher, so fifty thousand plus fifty thousand, y'all. If I'm correct, is a hundred thousand dollars. And who's in debt for a hundred thousand dollars? Just saying, y'all. Just saying. But wow, really, wow. <laughs> a few days before Halloween, so he knew what was happening. Not suspicious at all, though, right? Now, police found out that only hours, hours, y'all, after Timothy O'Brien was pronounced dead, Ronald called the life insurance company. He was trying to cash in on the $50,000 for Timothy. What? Are you kidding me? Your kid? Just died. And not just died, somebody killed him. Somebody poisoned him. And all you can think about is money. Not looking good, Ronald O'Brien. Now, here's the wild thing even though Ronald is looking mighty sus right now, police are still finding it really hard to believe that a father would do this to their child. But the even bigger question here, though, is why did he give candy to the other kids who were with his trick-or-treating? So police interrogate O'Brien, and he claims his his innocence. He's like, I don't, I can't believe y'all are saying this. Like, why would I do this? He would never do such a thing, right? Words of an innocent man, y'all. Words of an innocent man, okay? Okay. (laughs) so police start questioning the people around ronald maybe he did or said something to give a clue if he did kill his son so they go to his last job and one man tells police that he does remember that ronald asked a very specific question about cyanide one day and how much cyanide would be needed to kill a person Now, I should mention that this man who's giving this information is a chemical engineer, so that's why Ronald asked him this. It wasn't just, like, a topic (laughs) of conversation. Like, he had a purpose. This guy deals with chemicals, and Ronald is like, hey, how much cyanide kills a person? Which, I guess, is not that... (sighs) Like, if somebody asked me that, I would be like, I don't know, let me ask Google, and I'd probably look it up. You know, like, I yeah I don't see anything too wrong with it but now we're putting the pieces together and now it's like oh he asked me about cyanide there's a clue but Ronald even went as far as to ask him where could he buy cyanide if he needed some now that (laughs) if somebody asked me about cyanide and then followed up with that then I'd be like wait what what (laughs) so police then go to stores around the area chemical stores uh, any type of store that sold chemicals and one store in particular a chemical store remembered o'brien but he left after asking them how much cyanide could he purchase and they would only sell him a small amount which i'm not good with chemicals i'm not good with measuring (laughs) which is awful because i like to bake but Five pounds of cyanide? That wasn't enough for you, Ronald? Yeah, they told him that they would only sell him five pounds, and he was like, nah, I'm good. And he left. He said it was too small of an amount. So I don't know how much he wanted. Now anyway, so the night of Halloween, after the kids trick-or-treated, a family friend said that they remember that Ronald was being kind of strange when the kids got back. Now, like me and my cousins, when we would go trick-or-treating, when we were done, we would dump out that candy, throw out the crappy candy, give mom her favorite candy bars, thanks mom for letting me trick-or-treat, and then we'd compare candy and, you know, all that stuff. So I think that's what the kids were doing, but this person remembers that Ramon was being, like, really strange. So strange that she even remembers that at one point he almost jumped right across the table when one of the kids tried to take one of Timothy's pixie sticks. Now, Mrs. O'Brien said that that night when they got home, they allowed the kids one piece of candy, and she says that Timothy actually picked a lollipop. But Ronald told him no, because it was going to take him too long to eat. So instead, Ronald reached into Timothy's bag and pulled out a pixie stick. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's all I can say. Now, police later searched the O'Brien home, and they did find a pocket knife with powdered residue on it. They never say if it was poisoned or not, but either way, they know it was used to open the packets of pixie sticks. Later on, another old co-worker comes out and speaks up about how Ronald had mentioned that he'd soon be out of debt. Again... Nothing crazy to help, but could mean something. But then I think this is the wildest thing, is that at Timothy's funeral, when you should be mourning your child, Ronald is talking about cashing in on his son's life insurance policy and taking a mini vacation, as well as he talked about some Making some purchases, large purchases, maybe a car, maybe uh, something for the house, you know? So yeah, this person is like, yeah, I heard him at the funeral saying this stuff. So wait, after all the trouble of killing your child, you're not even going to pay your debt, mister? You're planning to go on vacation, spending the money on yourself? What the hell, O'Brien? I don't understand him. I really don't. Then again, for having that much debt, he probably, he really probably had a shopping addiction of some sort. Now, police finally have enough to make an arrest. And on November 5th, yes, only a week after the murder, they arrest Ronald O'Brien for the murder of Timothy O'Brien. Now, one week, police worked rather quickly, in my opinion, as they should, right And they got shit done. Now once this story broke nationwide, people went wild. Poisoned candy, oh my god. The media named O'Brien the Candyman. Yes. And not in a good way. (laughs) So during trial, O'Brien is charged with one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Remember, the other kids as well as his daughter. Now, his entire defense was based on the urban legend that a stranger poisoned the candy and handed it out. But remember I said there has never actually been evidence that that has ever happened. Now, the prosecution, however, had eyewitnesses that heard O'Brien say something relevant to the murder. And just the fact that he had major debt and had upped his children's policies three times in one year, one just days before Halloween, I feel like that is the strongest evidence right there. Even if they didn't have anything else to go on, that right there says it all. Now on June 3rd, 1975, it took the jury only 45 minutes to deliberate and give their verdict guilty oh yes super guilty and get this he was sentenced to death (laughs) yeah they were not playing texas y'all were not playing so he was sent to huntsville prison to await his execution like many awaiting execution you know they make them wait and wait and wait years and years and years i'm not i don't really understand that but okay Um, O'Brien, he tried to appeal, but he ran out of appeals. He appealed so much that he ran out of appeals. And finally, on March 31st, 1984, years after the murder of Timothy, he was executed by lethal injection. Now, I don't know if this is true, but at almost every execution, you have protesters that show up that are angry and they're like, you can't execute someone, you're not God, right? And so they're protesting at O'Brien's execution. But people also show up in honor of Timothy O'Brien, and they're there to support and cheer on, as weird as that is, cheer on a death, right? I don't care who you are, that's weird. (laughs) But yeah, they showed up in support of Timothy and so they were kind of like arguing with the protesters and back and forth. But here's <laughs> here's the cheesemate, y'all, because I don't know if this is true. It sounds a little crazy to me, but it's rumored that when Ronald was announced dead, the supporters shouted trick or treat and threw candy at the protesters. Again, I don't know if it's true. <laughs> it's probably not, but it's pretty good cheesemate. So I had to share that with you. Now, of course, after all of this, the town where the O'Briens lived didn't get many trick-or-treaters for a few years. But also, parents became more strict, gave more rules everywhere, not just in this town. But every Halloween season after, parents remembered this story and the poisoned candy. (laughs) And this is when it, like, really got, in the 80s, going into the 80s, like, they were, like, Don't they even like don't go to strangers' houses? Don't go, you know. Yeah, so people really started this urban legend, a poisoned candy by a stranger. It really was brought to life with this story of Timothy O'Brien. But like all Chisme, stories changed and they got more dramatic and wild, giving life again to the urban legend. Now, some places went really extreme, and eliminated trick-or-treating altogether. No more homemade treats. And something known as trunk-or-treating became very popular. And I think trunk-or-treating is like when like either... Like I know some schools do it, so it's like the teachers get together and then kids walk to the, you know... It's in like one specific area. Instead of walking around the neighborhood, you go to like one place, like a school gym or whatever... And your kid just walks around and gets candy, which I think is kind of lame. But it works. Like that year we had the snowstorm. Yeah, the school down the street from us, they did it. And I thought it was cool because the kids were sad that they couldn't go out (laughs) trick-or-treating. I don't think anybody went out that night. It was so bad. But yeah, so things like that started popping up. Now, parents, if you want to be extremely cautious, power to you, you should be. You know, because you never know. But know this, that there's very little to no evidence to claim that the poison candy legend is real, just so you know. So I hope that relieves your anxieties a little this year, but yeah, pretty wild. And like I said, as a kid, I always, I was so scared of getting, um, I was so scared of getting poison candy. My mom always made she like, when we would get home, she was like, I'm going to check your candy. <laughs> so she would check her candy, probably to steal the good stuff, but she always threw away anything that was open or tampered, like looked that it was tampered with. Like she was pretty strict about it. I remember that. And that's something I always carry too. Cause I remember last year, I was telling little Avery, I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, let me check your candy. <laughs> Cause I don't know. It's, Again, it's an urban legend that has been stuck into our heads, into our parents' heads, into their parents' heads. So I think it will carry on forever. But yeah, that is the story of the Candyman and the Halloween candy murder. Ugh, oh, poor Timothy O'Brien. My heart goes out to him. Halloween is, at least for me as a child, was always so much fun. A night full of just fun and excitement. You're getting candy. I mean, <laughs> What more could you want as a kid, you know? And here he is going home, ready to have his piece of candy, and his damn father is thinking money. I, there had to be some other issues there because I don't know how anybody could do that to their kids. I don't know how anybody could do that to a kid, period. All right, and we are going to end this episode with a spooky story. It's a short one. (laughs) So here we go. This story is by Horror in Perfume. Oh, (laughs) I thought it said Horror in Perfume. (laughs) It says Horror in Pure Form, and it's called I Hate It When My Brother Charlie Has to Go Away. Yeah, I can't do it. Sorry. (laughs) I can't do the laugh. I'm losing my voice. I'm barely hanging on here, y'all, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. So here we go. Here's the story. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is. That I'm lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destinations like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, They try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine, considering his confined to a dark room and an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course, they did at first. Charlie has been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time without fail, it all starts again The neighborhood cats with gouged-out eyes showing up in his toy chest. My dad's razors found dropped on the baby slide in the park across the street. Mom's vitamins replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy. And to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he is ready for rehabilitation. That I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he is back. Ooh. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to end this quick. Don't forget to find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook groups. (laughs) I'm all over the place, y'all. And if you have a scary story or anything you want me to talk about, my spooky season is almost done and we're moving into November, so I'm up for all new ideas if you have any for me. I love researching new topics, new situations. Doesn't have to just be murder, y'all. I have some good science ones coming up soon. But you can email me those ideas at creepychismet4u. That's the number 4, Y-O-U, at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram. I'm really active on my Instagram. Still takes me a few days sometimes um, for me to respond. But I promise I will try my best. Facebook groups, I check every once in a while. I need to get you guys more uh, chatty on there. And um, Twitter, what's Twitter? You know, (laughs) nobody uses Twitter. I get my news from Twitter and that's about it. (laughs) Well, don't forget to tune in Friday for a Freaky Friday episode. And I will see you... Next time, gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thank you for listening and don't forget, stay creepy.